Welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. I'm Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. And today we're going to discuss uh, Season 4, Episode 3, Man of Steel. David, take it away with a recap. The present. Poisoned by the kryptonite dispersal bomb, Supergirl is falling to her death, but John catches her. The D.E.O. tries to stabilize her, but it isn't enough because nobody understands what an atmosphere is. Luckily, Lena arrives to be smart, saving Kara by locking her into an environmental suit, and Liberty stops Mercy from killing Jensen. The flashback. We meet mild-mannered professor Ben Lockwood and his bigoted father. Over two years, we see his family's steel plant fail, him accidentally wounded by an alien, his house badly damaged because of Daxamites, him getting fired because of his increasingly bigoted lectures, his dad killed in a steel plant because of rain, him finally becoming a murderous raging pile of bigoted hate. Many straw man arguments for bigotry are spoken, and they're all gross. Mercy and Otis eventually recruit him to be the face of alien hate, so he hides his face in a steel mask and becomes Agent Liberty. Okay. (laughs) So, this was a very different episode from our usual Supergirl. This is easily the most different episode we have gotten in the entire series, and I think that is both good and bad. I thought that it was actually a surprisingly sympathetic depiction of a murderous bigot and how he got to be that way. I know that's what they wanted to do, and I just don't know if I find it disappointing or happy that they weren't able to actually quite pull it off. Because had they pulled it off, that would have been kind of gross too. And even (laughs) as it is, when I watched this show the second time, Oh, it was difficult to watch. But I give the creators of the show a huge amount of credit for trying to do this episode. Because trying to give us a bad guy, not with just a backstory, but two years of backstory and how he went from being a nice person to not, it felt too extreme in parts. And it felt like, as I said in the recap, there's a bunch of straw men that they're putting up there. I don't feel they did what they could have to make it more sympathetic. I did understand him getting angrier and angrier. I had, at the whole situation and at Aliens, I had a little trouble moving from that to him uh, casually endorsing murders of sentient beings, whether he thinks of them as people or not. Um, You know, I didn't feel, uh, yes, a lot of bad things happened to him and his family, um, but uh, he was a nice guy at the beginning. You know, he was scolding his son for calling aliens roaches, uh, or actually, first he was scolding his dad. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he did seem like a genuinely good guy at the beginning, and I, I don't think they did quite enough to show him being cool with uh, melting children to death with acid and that kind of thing. Well, that's that's the thing. It feels like they sort of softballed it. They had him reacting as if he had experienced things which we didn't see. There's horrible things that happen, but the show always is presenting it as, yes, these things are happening. Yes, this is bad. But his interpretation is always wrong. Every step of the way, he makes bizarre leaps and every step of the way he is misinterpreting what aliens are doing around him and therefore it's constantly this this thing where 
something is bad, but it's always his interpretation that's wrong every step of the way. It's not like it would have been hard to present him in situations where he actually is directly being dealt damage by aliens. I mean, arguably the two big season finales both affected him badly and that one of them killed his father. But Yeah, one of well, one of them burned his house down and yeah. one of them killed his father. I think <laughs> those are both bad things and uh certainly would produce uh quite a lot of angst. Uh, especially egregious with the incident of his house getting burned down was that that was I believe Jean Jones was fighting a Daxamite and uh some energy weapons were being shot around and Jean Jones caught the Daxamite you know, turned his face towards Ben Lockwood and says, you're safe now, and flies off and the house bursts into flames. You know, that I, I can certainly see why he was feeling that a lot of the powers that be were ignoring the uh, harmful effects that, that were happening to him and other ordinary people. But Whenever we see him dealing with an alien one-on-one, -on -one, it was almost always he was being irrational, and we were always, always in sympathy with the aliens on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Yes. That's where I think there was a failing. They could have had him actually deal with an alien who acted like they were taking his job, or threatened him personally, or did anything like that. But whenever he was dealing with one-on-one -on -one interactions with another alien— it was always him being just a loon in that situation. Mm -hmm. Except a bit on the first one where he was trying to defend the nth metal worker until he was accidentally hit. Right. Well, yes, he, he was. That was definitely him being a good guy at the beginning, trying to defuse the violence um, that the steel workers were expressing towards the whatever it's called, superior steel, alien steel uh, plant. <laughs> and he was being good then, and he got uh, a tongue lashing anyway um, for because they assumed he was sympathizing with the rioters or attackers or whatever you would call them, uh, they being DEO. It's a challenging thing that they were trying to pull off, and I do really respect the attempt, and I just I don't know. I don't know if they quite pulled it off. I don't know if it's in me that I am failing to see sympathy for someone because I just think he basically clearly just goes off to the deep end. They may have been able to sell, sell it. They, I feel there's a path there where they could have sucked me in, and they just didn't do that. And that's a pity. I mean, on the other hand, I would have felt dirty at the end watching the episode had they succeeded in sucking me in. So there's a right. bit of a balance there. Um, I think part of what pushed him over the edge was not just the aliens, but the fact that on every route he tried to get authorities to help him, he failed. Maybe due to his own lax <laughs> also. But, I mean, he accosted Lena uh, successfully, slipping through the Elk Corp's security to... Yep, uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, say, hey, our our company has served you long and served Elcorp long and well. Can't you, you know, not drop us? Um, and she basically says, 
get with the times. Uh, sorry, but you need to modernize, which, you know, fair. Uh, companies do need to keep reinvesting to, uh, to keep up, no matter what technology or who is creating it. Um, but, you know, there's that. He goes to uh, the Daily Planet, uh, and James brushes him off, and then he finds out that the brush-off uh, is because James is taking a call from Lena, who owns the thing. Which, it's really funny that uh, Ben sees Lena as this really pro-alien person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is funny, considering that she obviously, as you were discussing in the last podcast, sees herself right. as being a non-combatant in some right. regards. So there's that, and then he finds, you know, it, it just, um, you know, insurance companies don't cover alien stuff, damages to houses and things. And, you know, this also goes back to our thing about trucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In the Supergirl planet, you know, how do how do they all keep affording to buy new trucks for the companies and everything? Um, but uh he really did not have to get fired from his job and he was stupid about that and a lot of the financial hardship after that would have been avoided if he hadn't insisted on going on bigoted ra rants uh, and not even troubling to be subtle about it. Yeah. There's His job is that. a teacher. I think they really liked having the periodic hop into the classroom and see how he is slowly going farther and farther down. And that was interesting. And there are a lot of interesting things written into the storyline. Tons of historical analogies and conversations which are in some regards, being taken out of context. But, like, mm -hmm. someone when writing this really did have an interesting time writing this, I think. There's yes. the whole, the growth of nth metal as being uh, analogy for the Industrial Revolution, the aliens showing up on Earth being very, very badly mapped to the <laughs> colonialists taking over North America from the indigenous right. population. Which is a pretty weak <laughs> analogy to take. And and they just all feel like they're just very fragile arguments. That's the only thing that concerns me. Regarding the Industrial Revolution, the nth metal is coming. I don't know. They're making nth metal in the States. That's American nth metal. There's no reason there couldn't be pride in the use of technology taken from aliens and using to make America wonderful. There's no dependency for these things to be connected. And it's mm -hmm. just Ben's bizarre worldview as he gets warped. That's the interpretation that's always broken in almost every one of these analogies. Yeah. Uh, I also think this speaks a little bit to how things would be better if there were more of a so social safety net. <laughs> um, you know, I think we should have spent a lot more time discussing why in the world insurance companies aren't protected against uh, alien invasion. Uh, that, that <laughs> I mean, I guess they're letting it fall under act of God, which uh, poses its own semantic challenge, you know, with the, the uh, Ben Lockwood feeling like the aliens are acting like they're, they're gods uh, and... Humans are just ants. I think I would have liked to have seen more questions to the insurance companies. <laughs> There's definitely value in, in attacking that more. Regarding Nth Metal, I mean, he goes up and offers to Lena, I think it was to Lena, he said, shouldn't the past matter too? And it's like, 
from a capitalistic industry perspective, well, yes, but you got to move forward. It almost has no meaning from a perspective of Lena. Um, let's see. Problems with the um, shallowness of his arguments aside, uh, I did think the actor did a good job in this. This was uh, the guy playing Ben Lockwood was um, Sam Witwer, who is or who I remember, you know, about halfway through the episode, I figured out where I had seen him before, which was uh, as playing playing the vampire in uh, the American version of being human. Um, and yeah, I thought he was doing a fine job of emoting uh, with the material that they gave him. And also a Smallville actor, as far as I could tell from Wikipedia. Oh, I may have missed that. I didn't watch the later seasons. <laughs> I the, didn't the watch the last seasons, seasons of admit. Smallville. <laughs> I love the first few seasons, but... <laughs> I think he did a better job when he was being a bit of a psycho, perhaps, than in the mild-mannered version. He felt maybe a little stilted to me when he was being the mild-mannered professor. It felt like he was having, I suppose, more fun with the role as he kind of let loose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so is that about all that you want to say about that, or do you have any other points about, um, about Ben Lockwood specifically and his journey? I was really trying to briefly interpret what he was trying to say regarding when Europeans came to North America. I was trying to tell, was he trying to say, yay, we won through genocide, therefore that shouldn't happen to us? Because <laughs> he, he clearly wasn't saying we should find a better path. I really was trying to understand what he meant there, and I wasn't really quite able to interpret any meaning. There was a point in the episode where they decided they had to abandon their house when the Daxamites were, I think, trying to take over. And right. that whole conversation, that, that was the time where we got a lot of time with the family. And the yeah. one thing I noticed was, there's one, there's the bizarre scene of their family being destroyed and the kid's bike being hurt and the kid being very concerned about his bike burning <laughs> as they're just sort of standing around watching this exceptionally dangerous fight. But we almost see none of the family after that, which felt a little mi yeah. like it was missing. They, it's, I, as, I, F, sorry. Sorry. You know, during, during the scene when they were getting ready to evacuate, uh, uh, which seemed silly to me. I think they should have been sheltering in place instead of getting on the roads while the battle over the skies was going on. But anyway, um, uh, Ben's wife was uh, cooing at him, you know, basically, you're, I feel so safe with you. You're making the right choice, blah, blah, blah. Um, and yeah, I think that's the last scene we see her in, if I recall correctly. And... Um, uh, you know, I was wondering, is he even with his family anymore? Uh, what could he possibly be supporting them on if all he does is hand out pamphlets and then later, you know, attack people, attack aliens? You know, he can't be... How is he supporting the family or did she take the kid and move? <laughs> exactly. It felt like there was a bit of a family drama in the, the writing at the first half of the episode and the last half of the flashback it just sort of vanishes and this whole what is his financial basis and is he still with his family it's sort of his father dies and then the family issues are sort of dropped in the writing and maybe there was other scenes that got edited for time or something like that but yeah it did feel this stark turn where he seems to be reasonably 
surviving just fine, but as far as we can tell, is he alone now? And he's just basically being an activist during the day and a terrorist at night, so... Yeah, also, I did wonder a little bit with the, um, he encounters the dean uh, who had fired him, uh, and she says, sorry, I didn't really realize how tough things would be for you, and he says, you know, well, now now you know that, you know, lots of people are having their lives hurt by this, and he invites her to go to a meeting, and I wondered, you know, maybe she would hire him back or something, although probably there are procedures that would prevent that but yeah uh toward the end i'm 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 was you know really wondering what you just said you know what kind of life is he leading now um it seems like he's the kind of guy who would want his son to follow him into this activity but maybe maybe not i don't know i think Part of the problem is that this episode is such a remarkable change for the show to try and give us mm -hmm. this much depth into a baddie for the show. Right, right. Um, and, and just sort of this density of it being dropped on us, whereas we normally would not see much of their family lives or what they're doing when they're not mm -hmm. being bad, except maybe the bizarreness of Sam last season. But that doesn't count. This is... Right. I mean, we never boundary. found out why... Mom ill was <laughs> so mean. Uh, she just was, and that's how that she was presented, and she never changed. Um, exactly. Yeah. But basically, he's he's now back to the present. He's now in a more of a cookie cutter villain style that the show tends to place mm -hmm. its villains on, which maybe they won't do entirely, but it's certainly where they're standing right now with what they've shown us in the present. Right. So, anyway, uh, toward the end of the flashbacks, we finally see him being recruited or allied with uh, Mercy Graves and, and uh, her, her brother, Otis. And she says, you know, you have a wonderful gift for public speaking, like FDR or Mussolini. And he looked slightly taken aback like that. You know, one would think that most reasonable history professors would not care to be compared to Mussolini. But, you know, that that was not enough to scare him away. And um <laughs> Maybe they should have just thrown in Stalin there. <laughs> I don't know that he was known for his oration. <laughs> Perhaps not. There's two things I have issue with here. One, they seem to be trying to get him to be sort of the face of the organization and to be this great orator. And we do see him doing oration like that in the hate rally. But mm -hmm. in this episode, he doesn't really come off that way very well. I mean, I suppose he presents what makes it sound like reasonable arguments in his lectures. But as far as we can tell, we've only ever seen him talk and push people away. We've never seen him in the flashback, draw the crowd, bring people to his perspective and such. I don't feel they really gave much evidence that he actually had this ability. But for them to take that and have him talk on stage in a mask and a body armor, I entirely don't understand. Mm -hmm. It kind of seems to defeat the purpose. For all that the audience knows, that could be an, an alien, alien under that metal mask. <laughs> exactly. How can you take these people who are saying, we don't want these masked people hiding among us, and then the leader of the hate group is a guy in a mask. 
I just don't understand. It just came off as almost farcical in the hate rally, and maybe they'll pull it off better in later episodes. Yeah. There were some other lines I actually quite liked. Earlier in the episode, they had the attack of Nth Metal being, it doesn't even have a vowel. <laughs> that, that, I think, is a, a good modern uh, attack, especially a decade ago when every computer company in the world just was removing their vowels as quickly as possible. Right. And later on, I also quite like the discussion regarding whether the president was an alien, to which he responds, read little 4chan, do you? Which, <laughs> which also right. might, might be almost too current to uh, <clears throat> modern sensibilities. Someone did take a lot of care, I think, in writing parts of this episode. Yeah. So, you know, given what a departure it was, I, I do feel like it was... Uh, you know, they, they did an interesting job. I, you know, I was certainly never bored during this episode. Um, I don't think we need to have any more flashback episodes like this this season. But, um, you know, I thought I think it was an interesting experiment. And uh, I've, I've certainly complained before about cardboard villains. So now we have a not cardboard villain, but I don't know if they'll actually use that. Or, you know, if they'll develop it any further, or if it'll be just, okay, you got your backstory on this one, now go through your paces, villain. <laughs> it's possible we have a non-cardboard backstory, but a cardboard villain, which is a very strange position to be in, but right. it might be the one we're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very happy they tried to do this. This was a really interesting episode to watch. I was very focused on watching the entire thing all, both times I watched it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd say it's one of the best episodes of the show, but it might be one of the more important ones. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to see what happens after this before I make judgments about how an important how important this episode was. You know, will they will they will things lead from this, or will it just be a you know an interesting punctuation of the timeline that doesn't really affect things afterward? Yeah. There was almost only one thing I saw in the flashback that probably matters, which was when they were talking about Fiona, mm -hmm. the line was given, some of these creatures have skills we can use. So clearly uh -huh. something's going on there, some utilization of alien abilities, and we still do not know what that is. So it's something we're going to be learning about more of still there. Yep. Uh, with that, shall we go back to the present for a moment? Sure. So, um, as, as you say, our DEO fine people don't really seem to understand atmosphere. <laughs> they don't understand very much. I don't normally attack the as-you-know-Bob lines in TV shows, but at the start of this, Alex doesn't know what a DEO kryptonite alarm looks like. John can't figure out that maybe the atmosphere being full of kryptonite is from a dispersal bomb. It... <laughs> No one seems to know very much in the DEO. <laughs> yes, yes. I was disappointed with that. I, I like I like Lena coming to the rescue, but it really wasn't necessary. And I thought that the Supergirl-shaped super suit that she used for the atmospheric containment chamber was silly. <laughs> I think it matters, though, because the, there's value there because there's a setup now, which is... Kara is now stuck inside of that thing, too. Well, yeah. But she's probably going to be active in that suit, would be my guess. Oh, uh, 
Okay. Because she'll be able to act as a character in the next episode, I expect, but she still will be stuck in the suit. But now we can't get caught. So instead out. of, yeah, instead of being stuck in a bubble at DEO, you're thinking she'll be able to go around in it. I think she's in a portable thing. And we've seen that in Superman and a lot of storylines where he pu- he puts on the sort of anti-kryptonite lead suit or something like that so he can go beat up someone who has kryptonite in- on him. And I expect we're seeing something like that. Mm-hmm. Everything about the atmosphere and the dispersal bomb is still the the highest level of super science that the show can give us, where the entire <laughs> atmosphere of Earth was irradiated by, I don't know, three tablespoons of kryptonite instantly. <clears throat> and I don't understand why they can't just evacuate the atmosphere and just put in their own atmosphere in a room. Yeah. Yeah, they shouldn't have had to wait for Lena to, to do that. Every single episode this season... Has Brainy yet to be useful at all? Mm-hmm. It hurts. I was a bit in pain for a lot of the, the present day stuff, and hopefully they can not be quite so incompetent going forward. Hopefully. I did like the line that led into the flashback being, what kind of person is capable of doing this? And then it's a uh-huh. flashback about Liberty, even though, as far as we can tell, Liberty didn't want them to set off the kryptonite dispersal bomb. That's right. He said at the last uh, last time that we don't want to make Supergirl into a martyr. But then again, as far as I know, the general public doesn't know that the aliens, I mean, sorry, that the bigots uh, set off a bomb that um, nearly killed her. And so she won't be a martyr after all. It still seemed a little strange that that's what they did. The writing in the previous episode did not make it quite clear why Mercy Notice just went and did that anyway. But, yeah, oh well, it worked out so it, as expected. It does point to, you know, it not being an equal partnership between Liberty and Mercy. Um, uh, she's using him. He may be trying to use her, but uh, he's not on the same footing as she is, even though he does hang out at meetings with her and Otis and stuff. It's strange because it was sort of implying that he was the boss. He was telling them what to do. And yeah, that, that does not make any sense, and maybe it's not the case. And we haven't really seen it defined as to what their thing is, but yeah, he did seem to be giving orders before, but I guess um, I guess he can give them, but they don't have to take them. <laughs> there is that. And, and we did see that come to a head also at the very end, where right. Mercy tries to uh, tie up loose ends by killing Jensen, who they manipulated because Jensen is an idiot. And right, and Ben says, no, we don't kill our own. Yeah. And uh, Mercy says she's that, you know, he's a nobody. <laughs> and uh, Ben doesn't really argue the morality of that. Perhaps he thinks it's useless to argue morality with her. But anyway, he says, no, uh, we, can, we can use him. We can, he can get us into DEO. So I guess that'll probably what happens on the next episode. I expect we will see something in that path. And hopefully, hopefully, with Kara stuck in a suit, <laughs> well, we're going to get yet more and more evidence of why in the world does Lena not know. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, and that reminds me, um, there haven't been any repercussions from the uh, Corp Follies, uh, where I was sure that Lena would just need to review the security tape and find out once and for all. I didn't have that thought. It was when I was listening to your podcast that I heard you guys talk about that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) They'll probably ignore that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay, so I guess that was a, that's about all the thoughts I have on the episode. It was uh, uh, there were interesting points, but thematically it was a bit simpler uh, and less needful of discussion than some of the other other episodes we've seen. I mean, ne- less needful of lengthy discussion. <laughs> you could have a huge lengthy discussion about the what I consider straw man arguments that they throw up to knock down in this episode, but uh-huh. about our main characters and the story going forward, there was not a lot there. Right. So, I guess then that we may as well wrap it up for this time. I'd like to thank you for the conversation. Always fun talking about it with you. Happy to be back for the season. <laughs> and um, I'd like to thank our listeners. If you want to continue the conversation with us, uh, please join us uh, on Twitter at SG Supercast or in the Slack channel, uh, uh, TV channel probably, of the incomparable Slack. And I'd like to thank our audio editor, whether it's Seth Heasley or Deanna Chapman. And, of course, thanks to The Incomparable for hosting this podcast. Okay, bye-bye.